0: Well, we're going to continue on in our study of Hebrews, and we're going to go back to chapter 1, verse 1. We introduced the topic a little bit last week. Uh, we had a shorter amount of time uh, to dive in, so we only looked at a verse and a half. But we're going to look at the whole chapter and a little bit of chapter 2 this morning. Uh, it is one unit, one thought, and uh, hangs together, and hopefully you'll see that this morning as well and be encouraged I read a, a good quote not too long ago uh, about preaching and and the goal of preaching is to worship. You know we often like to hear preachers that are entertaining or that's you know that uh, holds our attention. But really, the end goal is for us to all worship Christ. and this this passage before us today is such a rich, Christ exalting passage. We really want our attention to be drawn to Christ and Him exalted in our hearts as we read and as we meditate upon it this morning. And, and that's my prayer for us today from my heart, uh, that we would worship Christ that is being exalted in this passage. Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom." And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. As time goes on, we see Christianity getting pushed further and further to the margins of our society. The mainstream of our culture is less Christian in its thinking and behaving. Thus, the Christian worldview, its ideals, its viewpoint, uh, its worldview, is dismissed, ridiculed even persecuted. Having traditional values, Christian values these days, puts you increasingly on the fringes of society, and that causes pressure to be put on Christians. makes us question our faith. It makes us fearful of the future, and it discourages us because it seems as if we are losing there have been many high-profile deconversion stories over the past few years from Christian authors and Christian leaders, and, and they have come to the place where they've renounced the faith. And a lot of this has to do with succumbing to the pressures of the culture. If uh, if they haven't deconverted, then they have embraced unbiblical ethics so they can better fit in with the culture at large, and they're moving away from the word and the gospel we see that happening all around us so this pressure that we see uh, comes from our culture that's increasingly not christian in its viewpoints in its worldviews and then you throw this pandemic and quarantine on top of us and we're more than ever isolated from other believers We don't have as many opportunities to be with other Christians, and sometimes we have even used that as a reason or excuse to stay away from the church. We have isolation, and we use that to indulge our lusts, perhaps. So it's all a recipe for apostasy, for rejecting the faith, for turning away from Christ And maybe some of you have felt like this is getting to where it's not worth it anymore. Uh, Christianity is not worth the trouble anymore. And that's where the people uh, to whom the writer of Hebrews was writing, that's where we overlap. They were going through the same things. They were Christians who had become discouraged. They lived during a difficult time that included persecution and we'll see later in the chapters that many of them were thrown into prison and some had their property confiscated they were a marginalized group they were not accepted accepted by the society at large christianity was illegal in the roman empire in these days and as a result they too felt like it was not worth the trouble and they were drifting away from the faith Their faith was wavering, and they were neglecting their salvation. They were not taking the Word seriously. The writer says that they had become dull of hearing. They were missing church more often, so he's encouraging to to not forsake the assembling of themselves together. They were falling back into sinful habits, and we'll see him warning these people about that in places like chapter 6. An easier life apart from the cost of Christianity was looking very desirable to these people who were probably Jewish converts to Christianity. Possibly some of them were Gentile converts to Judaism and then to Christianity. But see, in those days, Judaism wasn't forbidden. It wasn't outlawed. It wasn't so much on the fringes of society as Christianity was. And so they remembered when they were following the Jewish faith that life was much easier and now that they've embraced christ things have become very difficult and perhaps made it to the place where they they couldn't find any work because they wouldn't hire christians in those days and so they were beginning to drift like a boat on the ocean with no engine or sails or rudder they were being carried along by the tides of popular opinion they were buying into these things and it's easier to go with the flow than to row against the tide. And life was much easier when they were not Christians. See, they needed encouragement in these days in which they lived, just like we do. We need encouragement. And that is exactly what the book of Hebrews is going to give us as we study through it. The book of Hebrews gives us the antidote for spiritual drift and backsliding. And what is that antidote? A deep look at the supremacy of Jesus Christ You're going to see the writer of Hebrews say throughout this book that Jesus is better than, fill in the blank, everything. Jesus is better than angels. we see that here in this passage. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better, and he's abiding. And that's what we'll see throughout these weeks. So, yes, we're going to worship Christ because he is most supreme. Now, last week we looked at the first verse and a half. God has spoken which is very important. If, if, if God didn't speak to us, we, we would have no capacity to know him. But God desires to be known, and he has revealed himself to us through the prophets, yes, but ultimately and, and most prominently, the greatest revelation he has given us is his Son, Jesus Christ. The fullness of God is in him, and he has revealed God to us. And then the writer gives us a list of superlatives concerning Jesus, which we'll look at now. You remember when you graduated from high school, for those of you who have graduated, you had the senior superlatives, you know, most athletic, uh, most beautiful, uh, most handsome, uh, most likely to succeed, most likely to be missed. All of these superlatives. Um, this isn't like that at all, because Jesus wins every category. Uh, he, is, he is superlative and supreme, and we'll see that here. In verse 2, Jesus, God has spoken to us in his Son, Jesus, and we're really asking the question, who is Jesus? Uh, who is this person through whom God has spoken to us? He is, the first of all, the heir of all things, the heir of all things. Now, he probably has Psalm 2, verse 8, in mind as he's writing this, because he's quoted, he's going to quote verse 7 of Psalm 2 in verse 5. But Psalm 2 8 says, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the end of the earth your possession. So Christ's inheritance is everything, He is the heir of all things. Everything, the earth, the universe, the world to come, it all belongs to Jesus. He has the supreme place in all of the universe, and everything is for him. He has universal dominion and authority. In verse 8, he talks about Jesus. He quotes Psalm 45, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. He says this is the Son he's talking about, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. He is over all things. And at the end of time, when Christ returns, everything will belong to him. Jesus called himself the Son of Man. That was one of his favorite designations. He gets that from Daniel 7, where Daniel has a vision of of the one who looks like the Son of Man. And what does Daniel 7 say about this Son of Man? To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." So he's going to inherit all things, and those who are united to him by faith, they will be joint heirs with Christ. The meek shall inherit the earth. How? Because the meek are united to Christ by faith, and they too will have an inheritance in his everlasting kingdom. Is following Jesus worth it in light of the fact that he is heir of all things? The answer is obvious. Everything is created by Him and through Him and for Him. We see that in the second phrase here in verse 2. Through whom also He made the world. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is the unchangeable founder of the heavens and earth through whom all things were created and whose years will have no end. See this, This is pointing to the eternity of Christ. He's not a created being. Everything was created through him. He precedes creation. There is therefore no argument about the superiority of Jesus Christ. He is superior to all things, whether in heaven, on earth, or under the earth. He is God, and they are his servants. He is the creator, and they are his creatures. He is infinite, and they are finite. Look at verse 10. You, Lord, this is another quotation, from the Old Testament. Uh, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe you will roll them up. Like a garment they will be changed, but you are the same and your years will have no end. See, there's a stark contrast between Christ and that which will pass away. The heavens and the earth will perish, the author of Hebrews tells us. The Lord will roll them up like a robe and they will be changed. Christ, on the other hand, will remain. He is the same and His years will have no end. That idea that everything was created through Christ is all throughout the New Testament. John 1, 3, Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. And then Colossians 1.16 that we read in our call to worship. By him, or in him really is what the Greek says, in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him or through Him, and for Him. See, He created everything. He was the agent of creation, and it was all created for Him. It's all about Him, is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Is following Jesus worth it? Should we neglect this wonderful salvation that we have in Christ? Well, verse 3, he goes on and he talks about Jesus being the radiance of his glory. He is the revelation of God's majesty. If we want to see the glory of God, we look at Jesus Christ. Christ is the shining forth of the glory of God. When the temple was constructed, when the tabernacle was constructed, God's glory filled those places. And this would have resonated with his original audience but Christ has come. He has tabernacled with us, as John 1 tells us. He is, he, the Word became flesh and dwelt, or tabernacled, with us, and we beheld His glory. He is the glory of God. No one has ever seen God, John writes. The only God who was at the Father's hand, He has made Him known. So if we want to know God, look at no further than Jesus, because Jesus, as it goes on to say, is the exact imprint of His nature. What God essentially is, is made manifest in Christ. To see Christ is to see the Father and what he is like. The Son is not a reflection of God, nor is he similar in substance to the Father. Rather, he is the exact representation of God's being. In his earthly ministry, Jesus made this comment to Philip, the disciple Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? So he is the exact imprint of his nature. He's showing us God. Is following Jesus worth it? He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Not like Atlas. You know, Atlas is often pictured holding the earth up in the... In the mythology, Jesus sustains, upholds the universe by the word of his power. He, he carries it along. He makes sure it reaches its goal, which is redemption a new heavens, a new earth, where he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's upholding it and making sure it doesn't devolve into chaos like it was before creation. So he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Everything is moving toward redemption, and he has secured redemption. He made purification of sins. Christ, in all that he did, is the only way that your sins can be cleansed. He's the high priest, which is a great theme in this book. And of course, it, we've mentioned that it already, it already has mentioned that he's the king and he's the prophet. But the priestly work of Christ is really on display here in the book of Hebrews. He made purification of sins. He dealt with our problem, our sin problem. And he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. When can you sit down? Once your work is finished. You know, Once the work is done, then you can sit down. The priests in the temple were continuing to do their sacrifices day after day. Month after month, year after year, the work was going on. But when Jesus made purification for sins, he sat down because the work was done. It was over, the, the final sacrifice, paid in full. Everything that you need is in Christ. These people were turning back to Judaism. And he's, the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't do that. Their work is ongoing and it's not complete. It's not full. Christ has done it all. There's no need to go back. No need to be discouraged with Christianity. So is following Jesus worth it? Absolutely. Well, then he tells us about angels. He he compares Jesus and angels. and, And one wonders, what's going on here? Why is that so important? The writer of Hebrews, you know, he's concerned with showing that Jesus is greater than angels, but... The original audience wasn't wasn't, uh, tempted to worship angels. What they were tempted to do was to go back to Judaism, which is angels didn't have a big part to play in their worship, uh, in the Judaistic worship. But what they were doing was drifting away from the gospel, and they were heading back to the Old Testament law. And in several places, the Bible states that the law was given through angels. This very passage begins with the fact that Jesus, God has spoken to us in Jesus. But God also used angels to communicate, to reveal things to us. Galatians 3 tells us about the law, that it was put in place through angels by an intermediary, intermediary. And in Acts 7, during Stephen's sermon, after which he got stoned, he says this, uh, Acts 7, 38, this is the one, Moses, he's talking about Moses, this is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai, and with our fathers he received living oracles to give to us. So Moses apparently was on Mount Sinai, and then some sort of angel appeared to give him the law. God used an angel, a messenger somehow or another. And then he, Stephen goes on and he indicts the people who put to death the prophets in their past and rejected Christ. He says, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. "...you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it." See, these people were tempted to turn back to Judaism and the law. And the writer is saying that the message of Judaism, with its glorious law, yes, given by angel intermediaries, is glorious, but it's not nearly as glorious as the revelation we have in Jesus Christ. It's nothing compared to the gospel. In fact, it points to the gospel. The, the angels are always pointing to Jesus. And he goes on and he makes several categorical comparisons, and I won't take a long time to go through all those. He's quoting a lot of Old Testament scripture here, five or six different texts from the Old Testament. But Jesus, he says, is more glorious in his name. He's a son. They're just servants. Uh, Jesus in his office is greater. He is sovereign, as we've already shown. He's the the one who's created all things. They're for him, and he's going to rule over it all. But they're just subjects. They're created beings themselves. And his glory is greater. He's the creator. They're the creatures. They're just servants. They've never, been, they've never been addressed with these words, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Well, obviously the message of Christ, the gospel, is greater than the Old Testament law given by angels. And I'm doubting that anybody here is currently tempted to leave Christianity and embrace Judaism and the Mosaic law. But we are tempted to drift away from the gospel, the good news about Jesus. We drift, and when we drift, where are we going to go? We we go to the law. It may not be just the Old Testament law, but when we drift away from the gospel, we're turning our faith from Him, from Jesus, to ourselves. We know better, we'll try to be good people and we'll go along and just try to navigate this world without Christ and we'll, we'll, you know, at the end of the day, hopefully our goods outweigh our bads. That's just the law. But the angels point, as I said, to Jesus. Peter says something interesting about this relationship in 1 Peter 1. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what, per, what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So yes, God had revealed himself through the prophets, verse 1 tells us, and Peter saying they prophesied about these things but they longed to know when it was all going to come about when the fullness of it was going to come and it was revealed to them peter says that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the holy spirit sent from heaven so the prophets were told hey hang on it's coming later you're serving someone that's, that's coming later for their benefit. You're, you're laying the foundation. Christ is going to come. And he ends this little phrase, that, this little sentence with this phrase about the gospel. Things into which angels long to look. Things into which angels long to look. See, he's talking about angels here. They had given the law... He's saying that the angels themselves, they longed to know more about the gospel. They wanted to know about Christ and when that was going to happen and how that grace was going to come into the world. Angels pointing to Jesus, they wanted to know more about Jesus. Why would we go away from Jesus? Why would we drift away from him? And that's the question that he asks or the the exhortation that he gives us in chapter 2. The point of the argument that he's making here. Why is he telling us that Christ is so great? Because they were discouraged. And so he says in verse one, verse 1 of chapter 2, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Our hearts grow cold. We get discouraged. We get enamored by the things of this world. We get influenced by this world. And we can drift away from the gospel. We can drift away from Christ. And he gives us this warning in verse 2. Since the message declared by angels, the law, proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? If you rejected the Old Testament law, that got you in trouble. Now something greater than the law is here, and if you reject that, What's going to happen to you? What's going to happen? How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The wonderful thing about this great salvation that, is, that Christ has provided for us, he's done all the work. It is finished. It is complete, and it is a free gift, a free gift of salvation for those who will put their trust in him. May the Lord encourage our hearts today to hang on to Christ, to pay more attention to Christ, to make Christ the center of our lives, to, to follow Him. It is worth it. It may be difficult. There may be trials and discouragements, but it's worth it. He's the heir of all things. He's the Creator, the, thing, the One who through whom all things were created. It all belongs to Him, and and one day we will be with Him in the new heavens and new earth, living with Him forever, rejoicing in the fact that He has brought us by His work to this place, and we won't remember all the difficult things. There will be no more crying or tears or sin or brokenness in the world. It is worth it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gospel. It is indeed good news. And Lord, we pray that you would be exalted in our lives, that we would see you as the greatest, and that we would long to know you better, to follow you more closely. Thank you that you have included us into your family into the body of Christ. and We're part of something that you're doing in this world. And, Lord, we pray that anybody who doesn't know you would embrace you as their Lord and Savior because you said anyone, if anyone will, let him come. And so, Lord, we pray for all those who might be lost here today or might hear this message online. We pray that you would draw them to yourself and we pray that you would build your kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.